0: It's a massive, underserved, kind of untapped market. Um, it's, uh, you know, 60 million people in the U.S. Uh, and growing.
1: This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your host, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves.
2: And welcome back to the Creative Disruption podcast, where we talk about everything that's disrupting the industry and people that are doing it. Um, and I'm joined by my friend and cohort, Ricky Ray Butler. How you doing, Ricky?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Man, I, I think this is now like the fourth time in a row that you're saying cohort. So that's just the way it straight. is.
2: Like, you just get over it already. We're cohorts. <laughs> I'm over it. I've now accepted it. Everyone, I am Daryl Cohart. Hey i literally going to get you a t-shirt that says, I'm Daryl's cohort, <laughs> please. I will Every podcast. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> no, I'm really excited for this one. Cause you know, we talk about different markets, different segments and you know, just different types of target avatar. And this is the one that's going to have a really great conversation on really going after a specific niche and what that actually means and where that that's actually going in today's ecosystem. Do you want to kind of introduce our guest here today? Absolutely. So we're really lucky to have Rich Hole.
1: Rich Hole has, you know, been a very successful um, executive producer. He and producer he produced "She's All That," um, "Get Over It" by with, with Disney, and then also um, did um, um, the story of Daryl Royal, where he collaborated with um, Matthew McConaughey um, about, you know, Daryl Royal and he, um, Rich is not only a producer, but he's also been a very successful tech entertainment entrepreneur. Um, he founded Pongalo, which later was acquired by Vix, which is owned by Univision, which is, you know, the largest streaming plat- free streaming platform for, um, Latinx and Hispanic audiences. Rich, thank you so much for making the time to meet with us. Um, you're a very big deal and we're excited to geek out, uh, and, and learn from your experience.
2: Well, thanks for having me, guys. I I, I gotta just jump right in, because like well, this is what we gotta do, Ricky, here. But it's like, how did you get into this? Like, how do you actually get into the Latin mix of of cr- creating apps and so on and so forth from there? How did that all start? It's a good question. So, you know,
0: the first part of my career was, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Ricky uh, is a film and television producer, and i probably done 25 or 30 different movies and TV shows, and I got into the digital space because I was teaching a film finance class at UCLA and getting all these questions about digital. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. And as a a very traditional film and TV guy, I realized I better figure out what this digital stuff meant because I was not able to answer most of the questions. Um, And so as I did that, I started an advisory business on the side that kind of gave me the catalyst to learn about the digital space. And I started making a bunch of personal investments and sitting on boards as L.A. was kind of becoming a digital media town. And so I, I learned about digital that way. And then I grew up in Texas, so Hispanic media has always been a part of my world. And um, uh, a friend of mine had had recently taken over a Spanish language DVD company that was uh, the largest seller of DVDs for um, for Spanish language at Walmart. And he said, uh, you should join the board. This would be great. And I said, okay, that sounds cool. But I kind of know myself well enough. And I thought maybe if I really wanted to make a commitment to the board, I thought I might wanna have an investment in the company. and. Uh, and uh, I, so I did that and, uh, uh, and not too long after that, the company, uh, went upside down and because of the way I had made my investment, I wound up with 500 Mexican movies and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what am I going to do? in the telenovelas,
2: me? right? <laughs> yeah. Martin investor.
0: So it sort of, you know, forced me to kind of draw on my Texas roots from, uh, from growing up around Hispanic media and... I started looking at that ecosystem of what was happening in, the, in, in particular the US Hispanic space. And it seemed at the time that there were kind of two large television players uh, that seemed like maybe they wanted to be disrupted a little bit and, um, and, and maybe kind of not focused on the mobile and the digital thing that some of the other bigger players had. And so that's really what I set out to build with, the, with these 500 Mexican movies um, you know, was a, uh, a Spanish language, Hispanic focus, streaming service that was cooler, hipper, more interesting than some of the incumbent players. And I thought I'd just kind of figure it out as I went. And so ultimately uh, uh, I, I did. So that 500 Mexican movie library became, you know, now 20,000 hours plus. Uh, of content, but um, it's amazing. It was really the the original catalyst that got me into it.
2: So, Rich, I wanna I wanna get people context because I think a lot of people listening to uh, this podcast or watching the the podcast, um, you know, they're really connected to the space and they really understand avatars. But I don't think a lot of people realize how big the Latino market really is. And and I and I I, I think if you could kind of share on that, I think you have a lot more insight than than most. Like, how big really is the market and, and why is there a huge opportunity for anyone looking to, to, to gear to that target audience?
0: I, I love when you were kicking off this conversation and you called it a niche. You know, it's a niche that's 20% of the U.S. population. So if that's a niche, then I guess I'm a niche player. But um, <laughs> it, 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 no, it's, it's a massive, underserved, kind of untapped market. Um, it's, uh, you know, 60 million people in the U.S., Um, it's uh, and growing Um, not to mention sort of the opportunity in Latin America Um, you know uh, Spanish is the second most spoken language in the world so there's a lot of Spanish speakers out there it's a big addressable market and uh, what's interesting in Latin America is that they are a few years behind where we are in terms of connected devices and so forth and so things like connected TV and Roku and those are just coming online there and so we have a little bit of a playbook for what's happening down there, based on what happened in the U.S., um, but it's a massive market. Um, you know, we launched uh, our VIX streaming service into Brazil uh, last year, and that too is sort of a, a market within a market. You know, uh, yeah. because it's 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 Portuguese content surrounded in a you know geographically by by Spanish speakers, um, and so Brazil is the second largest media market in the world. So you can kind of go through and start to identify these massive pockets of opportunity um uh, both in the US and outside as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's something where a, a lot of people really don't realize that Spanish is the second largest language. I mean, I mean or second largest most spoken language um on the uh, you know, on the planet. And my 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 daughter and son, they both speak Spanish and English. My partner, my wife is is from Honduras. And you know, it's it's very interesting. You know, I'm actually trying to get my daughter to like make sure she figures out these two languages and then add Mandarin. So she knows the top three languages, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, 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 but, what's, what's so interesting is there's a lot of assumptions that, that we have is that, okay, you know, this is a niche short, you know, this is not that, you know, um, maybe that big I'm not saying that that's what you're saying, Darrell, but like just for myself, I remember I was talking to, you know, someone that works at one of those top two um, companies of how, you know, we are expanding, you know, to target the Latinx community um, at our company, both with product placement and influencer marketing. And it was interesting. I mentioned something that was really stupid. And I said, yeah, you know, it'd be great to open up an office in Miami. And she just stopped me right there. She's like, no, 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 That is so 1989. <laughs> you know, this community is so big and massive that, you know, there's a much bigger audience in the Southwest, you know, in California, in, in, in Texas, you know, you know, the four corner states, then there is, you know, you know, in a lot of these other parts that we just assume just have a very big population. And, and is that something that you're seeing with your data is that, you know, obviously it's catered to LATAM, but in the U S you know, where, where are you seeing like the biggest pockets, you know, geographically?
0: You know, a lot of it is the usual suspects of where you would expect. Right. So you mentioned some of them: California, Texas, Arizona, uh, obviously Florida. Uh, New York has a, you know, a huge uh, Spanish speaking population, particularly Puerto Rican. Um, and so, you know, we but we find pockets all over the U.S., which is really interesting. In fact, we find pockets all over the world. We uh, we're one of the larger suppliers of, you know, Hispanic content to Amazon channels. And so we launched an Amazon channel in the U.K. not too long ago, Mm. almost just as a check the box kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) And and it's killing it. Who would expect? You know, it's not because you don't think of the U.K. having this massive Spanish speaking population, but they're they're there. And, Mm -hmm. and, And ultimately, it's interesting. I mean, if you think about kind of the U.S., only in the last few years have, you know, to your point about sort of brands and major advertisers only in the last few years have the major advertisers started going after this market in a massive way as if they just got here but i think what it is it's the data you know i think we've gotten better today about tracking data identifying data analyzing data and we're starting to realize this is a massive opportunity and so now you're starting to see those brands fall in line and really go after those uh the, those those audiences with with really substantial budgets before I mean they there was always a little bit of a you know kind of a Hispanic budget that they would sort of push aside but now they're really substantial budgets and they're going after those pockets that you're talking about you know um, and, and and they're all over. I mean all, virtually every city has them I mean we are uh, we are we are a national streaming service you know we don't just cater to California or uh, you know or Miami Um, we're, we're everywhere and our, uh, uh, you know, and the data shows that.
2: I think what's interesting too, is to, to, to look at, you know, the newer influencers that are actually being more visible on social media and a good chunk of them are actually from Latino descent, whether they're bilingual or their parents, you know, immigrated or whatever, but they're, they're some of the biggest on the planet, um, have that. And they actually cater to, to both, you know, uh, both, uh, uh, audiences in that in that realm but where the passion really hits is in Latino America because it's like there's not a lot of like uh, there's not a lot of influencers down there at this at this time and you know they're just getting big and some of them are are getting stardom going from zero to five million subscribers in just a short amount of time we're talking like just you know six months eight months just because there's just that demand that's there and it creates that really huge ripple effect that's there and I I um, I lived in South America for a couple of years and, and I've traveled to uh, Brazil and I just don't think people realize how big the market is, um, how big Brazil really is, how big uh, South America is. Well, I think we're just kind of more, oh, we're territorial thinking about the United States, but this is a huge opportunity, especially what you said is you can almost anticipate, hey, the playbook's written, all we need to do is just kind of deploy it for this new uh, target demo down in this uh, geographic area And it's gonna take off and we've seen that uh, with the project that Ricky and I are working on Uh, you know uh, Brazil is just going like wildfire right now uh, just because people are just salivating for good content and uh, some of that good content is finally now reaching that market and they're just just big consumers
0: well I mean you you, I agree with every with all of that that's true Um, and and you mentioned sort of influencers and social media I mean that's part of the opportunity here Um, You know, when I started Pongalo, it was a subscription service, and that is where I thought the opportunity was at the time. Uh, And then suddenly, as I got into it, guys like, you know, Apple started making noises about coming into the subscription space, and those are people you really don't want to compete with. And so it forced me to go and think about what the free space looked like. You know, we call it AVOD, so Ad Supported Video on Demand. And there were people in the general population space in the U.S., like Tubi and Pluto and Zumo, who were killing it with, you know, free content and um, uh, on demand. And so ultimately, we sort of just took the playbook from those guys and replicated it uh, for the Latin market, and sort of became the Hispanic Pluto or the Hispanic Tubi. And that's probably a very legitimate, you know, description of us. Um, but ultimately you know a year or so ago i looked around and realized that my biggest expense was acquiring users to bring to my service as we had after we had already sort of evolved into the you know the largest player for the you know latin free ad supported space and and so ultimately the reason we combined the pongalo assets and the vix assets together was because vix had the largest social media footprint in the world for the latin market so 100 million facebook followers alone it's so crazy. So for me, that was just this massive megaphone, right? So you were talking about influencers, you know, coming out of Latin America, going from zero to five million subs. All of that was interesting to me because that's a, that megaphone that allows me to talk to this massive audience. And, uh, and we work with brands on the social side to create brand entertainment, but we also can talk to those people for virtually no money or, or no money, right? And we're using it as a funnel to essentially drive people from the top of the funnel, which is social, down to the streaming service. Um, And that's part of the opportunity for us is to really sort of kind of let them travel down that funnel. Um, And then when we've really sort of gotten them contained in our streaming service, give them that great content. Because great content, to your point, keeps people there, you know? I mean, we give give people a great value. I mean, there's nothing more valuable than free, right? And so, uh, (laughs) and if you don't mind watching a few ads, Uh, and ultimately none of us do if the ads are not intrusive, um, you know, it's a pretty good value, but ultimately it's the content that keeps them there. And so that's really been part of our challenge is to just constantly keep flooding people with great content, figuring out how to market it to them. You know, all the best content in the world means nothing if nobody can discover it on your platform. So we're constantly going and trying to, you know, refine our user experience to help us market stuff to you better. Um, in fact, we even built our own technology streaming platform, which, um, you know, people that are wanting to stand up their own streaming service these days can either go you know, rent that technology from somebody else or they can build it themselves. We built it ourselves, which, you know, building your own technology stack for video streaming is not for the faint of heart. So I'm not sure I'd recommend <laughs> that to most people, but it gives us complete control over the platform. So we are constantly able to iterate and offer new ways to discover that cool content. And so we're always trying to sort of chase that opportunity that you're talking about through stuff like that.
2: So Rich, I would like to kinda, I wanna explore the the megaphone effect because I don't think a lot of um, production companies or studios, they really get the power of it. I think they relied so, many, so heavily on, oh, we got A-list celebrities that's gonna be pushing the product and we're gonna be doing so much. And I, I wanna use this as in parallel um, I was watching the Super Bowl, and my favorite thing about the Super Bowl is the ads and seeing how they would place uh, A-list celebrities in there to help pitch or help elevate the content. And then you have someone that, that I've worked with and I'm partners with on a, a couple of things is Mr. Beast, who gets like a half a billion video views uh, a month. you know? And, and he's doing stuff that just immediately, within 48 hours, is getting 30, 40, 50 million video views on, on his content and and i think the difference would be is the community approach you know and where where you can create the a mega megaphone is getting people invested in what you're doing um, how are you able to translate that once you're able to you know acquire a new company or whatever you just be merge it or whatever you did but how did you leverage it to really further your your voice uh, in getting more people connected with with what you're doing
0: Well, I would say that, you know, kind of first and foremost in in social, you've got to entertain people. Nobody likes to feel like they're being advertised to. So we were much in sort of a BuzzFeed type way. We were spending a lot of time creating meaningful, you know, good content uh, that that felt like it was entertaining in and of itself. And if it had a message of go check out our streaming service, that's okay. But uh, but ultimately it was entertaining. So we'd say things, you know, just like on BuzzFeed, here are the top 5 JLo J-Lo movies ever made. Well, as it turns out, we've got three of them on our streaming service. You know, click here to install. So it, it starts there. Um, and that was sort of the first reason to combine the Pongolo assets and the VIX assets. The second reason was, you know, advertising sales. So um, VIX had a, an existing ad sales team of 50 people stretched across two continents. It would have taken me, you know, many millions in a couple years to build that. And so by combining the Pongolo and the VIX assets together, we could then immediately on day one, start monetizing through direct sales. So there's kind of two ways you make money in advertising. One is through programmatic sales, which is sort of a real time auction to, uh, you know, let a bunch of computers bid against that potential ad inventory and the other is by having guys out there knocking on doors, you know, selling direct direct ads. And, um, yeah. and the real money to be made is through the direct sales ultimately and so tapping into that with VIX was a way for us to, you know, really sort of turn this opportunity into something um, particularly special. And then what that did for us is it ultimately sort of created enough scale um, that then, uh, you know, Univision came in and recently acquired VIX earlier this year. So, you know, the journey for me is that ultimately I set out to kind of disrupt Univision by creating Mm -hmm. Pongalo, and now here I am uh yeah. in the, in the family at, at
1: university that's, that's usually uh, usually what
2: happens no yeah, that's amazing exactly.
1: well so it's it's interesting you know you know we've there's a lot of talk you know in entertainment around korean dramas or like k-pop you know it's it's taken the the globe by storm um i actually wonder with you know the content and the pop culture from latam or or you know from the the latinx community um, if it's becoming even bigger. And, and, the re- and the reason why, not only because, you know, obviously there's a lot of people around the globe that speak Spanish, but you see trends like reggaeton. Like I, I encourage my team over like music videos to make sure whenever we're working with a brand that's doing, you know, global, um, global activations and trying to get global audiences, That they should probably prioritize if it's a good affinity you know a reggaeton artist a reggaeton artist because when i'm in sweden or china or japan or anywhere in the globe i'm always hearing reggaeton beats and music just blaring out there um and 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 so what's interesting you know daryl you know that's obviously happening with dramas and and you're showing that you know being the president of of vix that you know this is a global play, not just a domestic, you know, United States audience, you know, play. But one thing that I've noticed, and as Daryl said earlier, there are a lot of, you know, creators um, that, you know, are are part of the Latinx community, and a lot of the content that they're creating is not in Spanish. Um, It's in English. And I understand, you know, Televisión, as well as Univision, are trying to figure out how to better communicate um you know with this new you know millennial audience um, um from the linux community that primarily makes content in english and I, so i was wondering are you starting to open up um, your portfolio to english speaking or do you have plans of doing that in the future
0: it's a good question you know when i was first starting pongalow uh i made the decision to go after the spanish-speaking audience uh and there were a lot of people, in fact, there was a, a very prominent kind of LA VC fund that was just absolutely ready to write the very first check and, uh, and bailed out because somebody had explained to them that they thought the bigger opportunity was in English language content for the Latin market. And um, so I stuck with that decision. I think it ultimately turned out to be the right decision to kind of stay within kind of the, the, the Spanish language you know, lane um there is a market for you know english language content for latin audiences um particularly in the u.s the, the challenge with it is that you really have to thread this needle to have you know latin appeal but mainstream or latin feel but mainstream appeal um because going after english speakers who have you know who culturally are, are, are latino um those are people that grew up here in the U.S. They grew up watching Disney shows, uh, you know. They they grew up watching English language content, um, and so it's a real it's 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 a real needle you have to thread. Um, and so um, we've just made the choice not to do it so far. Um, we we could in the future make some decisions around you know trying to open the aperture a little bit. But um, but there are also streaming services that do really well with that, you know, Netflix, for instance.
2: So, yeah, uh, that, <laughs> Netflix is like killing it for sure mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. I, I think this is what, where, I, where I look at where the future is going is kind of a hybrid approach. And I think Netflix introduced this. There was a, a TV show that kind of hit Netflix by storm called uh, Money Heist and uh, it was produced in in madrid uh spain but i think they're doing a great job at dubbing and getting a, an audience in the u.s but it goes vice versa too and then some of the things that most people don't know is youtube's actually exploring right now and they're doing it with certain creators where you can switch out uh, an audio track and so now you can go whether if you have it uh dubbed in in russian or spanish or portuguese they can actually do it when they're geolocated and it's like okay i all it is is uh geolocated by the the area but also the context of how they're how they're consuming youtube they now can get it in their native tongue and that's actually going to be huge and where they can do it like automatically and switch between it just like they do in in netflix that's going to be one of the biggest disruptions and i see i see the uh creators that are bilingual that can do it whether it's english and then also spanish version but using the same context of the video and people can switch it i think it's just going to blow up uh, where they're going to get tons of new subscribers, tons of engagement, but you made the perfect point. It has to have that Spanish feel, that that Latino feel, to give it a lot of context. And I think some creators are just going to knock it completely out of the park when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, Money Heist is a great example of a of a show that um, that is is paying dividends because the dubbing is so good. You know, traditionally, you didn't sink a ton of money, which is, you know, dubbing is expensive. So it was hard to sink a ton of money, particularly into episodic dubbing, Um, you know. And so with Money Heist, they did such a good job of it. The casting of the voices is so good. You know, the the authenticity feels good. I mean, just everything about it just really feels like they spent a lot of money and went the extra mile. And that's translated into a lot of success. I love the show. I thought it was. It was fantastic. You know, we powered through the first two seasons of it and never once did I think, eh, this feels off. It's a little dubbed, you know, it, yeah. felt, it felt great. So I think there's a big opportunity. I mean, we, we're, we're doing great right now with Russian content and Turkish content, which, you know, is produced in their native tongues, but then dubbed into Spanish. But culturally, it kind of feels right. Um, and, and some of that is because they kind of originally stole the telenovela format from Latin America uh, (laughs) and and now they're just giving it back. But, um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I think that there's big opportunities. I mean, the world we live in is getting far, you know, way more global than it ever has been. And there's a lot of those opportunities to sort of move content around. If you find, you know, cultures that resonate with each other. And, and I think that's what you're seeing with money Heist.
2: Yeah, we uh, Ricky and I produce uh, a show called The Chosen, uh, which hit the, the the was it number four on the apps in entertainment just recently, yeah. Ricky. No, yeah, so we're, we're 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 doing good. Yeah, no, it's awesome. But one of the one of the things out of the gate with our distribution partner was to do amazing dubbing, and the first area that we hit was Brazil because it's like Brazil's massive, and then we did like the Latino Spanish dubbing and like uh, speaking fluent Spanish, a little bit of Portuguese. I, I was blown away of how amazing the dubbing is if it's done right. And I think that's what, like you said, Money Heist was able to do. And I think a lot of new uh, catalogs that's coming into to Netflix, they've done the dubbing. Just It's just amazing, regardless of where the origin of uh, the language was. It's just getting that dubbing right. Um, and I think that's making the biggest difference, because if it fills off, then you're going to go, eh, it was OK. But if it was like right on and right on par, then it's just like okay they're they're sucked into that universe and i just i've just seen so many bad dubbings uh in mm-hmm. spanish i'm like why do they even use that word or why is mm-hmm. it even done this way it's just really really horrible and i i think that that's where uh when you when you create an amazing ip that's where the next generation is it's like okay how do we globalize this and the best way to globalize it is getting a, a really good dub in in that uh for that series or or movie
0: I mean, I guess the next conversation we should be having separately is about getting your show onto one of Univision's streaming services, huh?
2: I definitely would <laughs> love to have that conversation. <laughs> like, like, and we, we are doing a little bit different approach. We just literally are trying to put uh, season one everywhere. Uh, we just got on Peacock and a few other places, but we have our own app because we do believe in owning our own audience as well. Uh, but yeah, like 100%, I'd love to have those connections <laughs> for sure. So <laughs> we're going to be talking right after this podcast. I sure. Rich, this was not the purpose behind inviting <laughs> you to this podcast. Yes, We brought you here to
0: have a conversation with you.
2: You never know with Ricky, though. He always has that l- little subtle strategy going. on. right, all right. <laughs> all right let's, let's negotiate it right now.
1: <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, no, it, it's interesting. You know what? You, what you're both saying about dubbing. You know, um, I have not seen a show yet that I've liked the dubbing for. And 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 a lot of it, you know, especially if it's you know you know Spanish speaking. When, when I'm with my wife. She refuses, <laughs> you know, to 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 listen to the b- dubbed version because she wants to hear it in her native tongue and I'm just expected to read it. And so I'm going to have to try it with Money Heist.
2: It's so and- good, Ricky. You'll actually like it because you like the mafia slash, you know, oh, yeah. kind of stuff like this. This one is just so amazing. It, the storyline is off the charts and the character development is off the charts. It feels like, I won't put it on the same category as Breaking Bad, but it's a pretty close... You know, with the with the, the character development of this and how they how they lay it out. I love it. So. Well, I know
1: there's a lot of people really into it. Um, you know, one of our, our engineers actually has that mask, you know, behind him, you know, on his Zoom calls because he's like so into, <laughs> into the show. <laughs> yes, now, Rich, where, where do you think this is all going? Like, w- what is going to be the next, you know, wave of distribution, um, you know, for the Latinx community and well and for the his, you know, Hispanic you know, content across the globe?
0: It's a good question if i had a crystal ball you know um no what i think is probably going to happen is i think you're going to see advertisers coming in uh and and being a lot more involved um you know part of the challenge in having a global pr- platform is that there's not that many global advertisers there are you know there are u.s based advertisers that are spending u.s budgets going after u.s audiences even that same brand in Mexico may have a very different audience they're going after, and a very different budget and different people, right? And they rarely talk to each other. So uh, brands are starting to figure out ways to kind of play a little bit more globally. Uh, I think they're finding better and better ways of being a part of financing content uh, and and integrating their stories into content in a way that doesn't feel you know wonky or intrusive. Um, mm. I think you know one of the things that happened. I watched. You know our friends at amazon you know build amazon studios and really they focused on the us first and their original strategy was to create english language shows and then sort of pump them out across the globe you know uh and and now i think if you were going to start amazon studios today you would start it with more of an international focus right or a global focus right you wouldn't just mm-hmm. focus on creating content for the us and hope to push it out you'd be trying to you know create content that would resonate in all, countries all around the world. You'd set up production hubs in you know, Mexico and in emerging markets like Saudi Arabia and you know, sure. places that are really sort of burgeoning um, and, and, and you would kind of do that all concurrently. So I think you're going to see more of that, more of sort of a global focus, more integration with advertisers um i I think that the free i'm biased right but i think that the Mm -hmm. free streaming market is a real untapped opportunity um because netflix has done a great job of 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 establishing you know the paid streaming service game but they're
1: globalizing too with all those different locations
0: they've done a great job of building a global platform but you know there are some countries in the world where everybody doesn't have an international credit card like they do here in the us um Mm -hmm. they can't afford You know, even that, you know, $10 a month for a streaming service feels like a luxury item. And so for, you know, for us, we're sort of going after the, you know, kind of the rest of those people that don't have a Netflix subscription. Um, And I think that's a big opportunity right now, too. Um, And I I think in the U.S., we've seen that. We've seen kind of trailblazers like Pluto and Tubi and guys that I mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier um, really sort of create that market for free content, which is, you know, it's, it's circular, right? You're talking about being able to, to see content for free with ads sounds a lot like television, you know, so kind of what's old is new again. Um, but I think that's a big opportunity around, around the world
2: i think the difference though is and that just is really important though freemium content's great and if it's ad supported but they get to pick their destiny it's not a broadcaster saying this is what you're going to want to watch this is all you get no they got titles to go and look and they can kind of consume it and then the algorithm kicks in to help them predict what type that you know what type of content they should see next and so i think it's a, a beautiful world when it comes to really getting to watch what you're into but it's really at their own fingertips. They don't need to wait anymore. They have to wait same same time, same place, same channel. No, they can watch it at like two o'clock they in the choose. morning if they want to. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, we're kind of leveraging that with um, uh, you know, you know. So we Univision has this uh, streaming product called Prende, which just launched, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, and um, and and we're sort of taking kind of a, a best-of approach as it comes to that you know, linear channel programming that you're talking about. And we're using you know, the linear channels that are on our streaming service as almost Barker channels to introduce people to new content because you do love that experience of just kind of flipping around to see what's on. But then when you find a show that you really like or a movie that you really like and you want to kind of dig more into it, that's when you can kind of hop over to the on-demand experience. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're seeing that being... You know, a really great Barker channel, almost an, a big advertisement for, you know, uh, for for merchandising content. Um, so it's not exactly like it was in the old days, Daryl, like you're talking about where you've got a guy in a room deciding what you're going to watch at 8 p.m. Yep. At least there's it's being used as a way to introduce you to that content in the hopes that you'll then go dive deeper in an on-demand experience, which is what you're talking and about, think, Ricky, with, yeah. you know, you, you control your own destiny.
2: And I think that's where YouTube's kind of pre, like like it, like it's done a lot of great good but the first thing it was is they've monetized it. People are used to ads now. It's like they get it. And you know, and they're willing for people that want the ad-free experience to pay a subscription if they want to. But if not, they can do the ad ad-driven integrated system. But I think at at the end of the day it's about the catalog, right? And that's the most valuable thing is what how how big is the catalog? and And then, two, how fresh is the catalog? I think that's going to be the challenge moving forward and I think uh these big studios you know, are are putting a lot of money behind refreshing their catalog. But I really do love Netflix approach where they go acquire great movies and just get a really good dubbing. So they're putting all the effort and energy saying, hey, this Norwegian show just took off or this show from Australia really took off. Let's actually integrate it as, uh, you know, Netflix original. And I think that's where the biggest thing would be is, you know, getting the catalog so it's big enough to really keep people coming back every day, seeing something and discovering something new, but also fresh enough. And I think that's where the challenge is gonna be is because everyone's kind of being, hey, this is our own playground and you can only watch it here. And I think that's gonna exhaust the viewer. I really do. I think that's gonna exhaust the viewer and it's gonna be really hard uh, to keep up. However, there's not a lot of competition with Univision. So. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I might add one more
0: thing, which which is authentic enough. Right. Um, Because I think what differentiates our streaming services from a Netflix is we kind of the authentic curation of the content in a way that you're not going to necessarily get on a Netflix, which is a general population service. There's something there for everybody. Right. right? We very much know who our audience is. Um, As an example, we uh, during the pandemic, we um, uh, we we, there, there was a movie called Windows in the World that uh was uh the new edward james almost movie uh some producers we know made it we really loved the movie it was about um uh an undocumented mexican immigrant in not in the world trade center in 9 11 and uh nobody knew whether he lived or died because he wasn't on any official list of hmm. you know employees in the building and we thought that was sort of an interesting thing to kind of dig into. And, uh, and it's Edward James almost, so he, everything he does is a great you know, performance. And uh, so they had planned on doing a theatrical release on that movie last summer. Um, obviously kind of the world shut down, the movie theater shut down, so we did the world mm-hmm. premiere on our streaming service. And then that kind of became the anchor tenant where we built a channel around all of these young emerging Latin filmmakers um because if you think about it there's a bunch of great filmmakers that came out of mexico about 10 years ago you know alfonso coron and guillermo del toro and the guys that are winning oscars today right but there have been less of those kind of of the next generation that have really gotten a ton of notoriety and so we decided well let's build a content let's curate a content offering around those guys because windows in the world was from a young latin filmmaker and we we're like, well, let's go find other young Latin filmmakers that have a story to tell, and we built a whole channel around that, um, exposing this new, these new fresh diverse voices that you know wouldn't otherwise have, you know, like come to you. And 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 then we went to our partners at uh, at Target, who kind of sponsored the whole thing uh, in a really cool way, and. You know, because everybody loves to hear themselves talk. So we told all the filmmakers (laughs) to, uh, you know, put their iPhones in front of their face and talk about what it means to have their their film featured on this channel and then use that to create all this really cool, authentic content that was sort of like almost shoulder content that kind of we could wrap around, um, you know, the films and make it a whole experience, almost like you would have at a film festival if you were to go in there. Um, And we did it all, you know, while the movie theaters were closed down. Um, so that's what I talk about when I'm, when I'm I'm talking about kind of authenticity around curation, it's that kind of stuff that I'm talking about that I would add is, you know, kind of, another thing, you know, to add on to the, you know, Daryl, your point about, you know, volume and freshness. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're trying to kind of dig into the content of it all, I would add authenticity to that.
1: Yeah, no, that's very helpful. Um, you were mentioning earlier that, you know, a lot of brands, don't look at it from a global perspective. They don't have global budgets. And I think that's starting to change now as well. So what we've noticed is when we have clients that spend over eight figures on digital creators or influencers, we're noticing a trend that a lot of these brands are now starting to build a global team because influencer content on YouTube, or TikTok, or, or, or Instagram, or Twitch, you know, it's, they're always going to have a global audience. And, and what's interesting is, especially in the digital side you know, of the world, uh, or the social you know, creator side of the world, in England or Australia, you know, where do you think the majority of their views are coming from? They're actually coming from the US. It's a much bigger population. And we've noticed that exact same trend um, when it comes to you know, doing product placement, whether it's you know, on, on television or SFOd or, or, or uh, you know, uh, you know, across Netflix, across a lot of these you know, different platforms, is that when there's a really good series that comes out of the UK, most likely it's gonna get more impressions and more views from a US audience. And so we're now starting to encourage and also starting to notice uh, on, on more of the traditional side or long-form content, where, where brands are realizing that they need to take a you know a very global perspective and have a global play, because all content is all it's all going to stream now, but it's also going to be global, and and you, you now need to look at the, the different nuances of you know targeting a, a, a you know a more local audience to looking and expanding to being relevant to an entire global audience as well and and it sounds like you know that of course is happening there and, and we'll you know um, as as you know our we do a lot with brand integration on both social content and um, across all the s like we're our brands are in 95% of the major s fods um, you know from like a hulu to like a netflix you know we're we're, we're in a lot of that content and more and more, we're realizing is that we have to get more and more global, and brands need to take, make you know global a much bigger priority. Now, with that said, um, when when you work with you know brands, like do you do you ever like bundle you know product placement with you know your media buys, you know with with, with like pre-roll or you know with um, with ad spends? Like, is that an area that you focused on?
0: Yeah, but we do it in a slightly different way because we don't spend a lot of time producing original content. Um, so what we do is we will sell, you know, to go back to the example we were just talking about because it's it's top of mind, you know, with Target when we were doing our, what we called our Latino Voices Channel, uh, which are kind of fresh young Latin voices that, that have, you know, new films to offer. Um, not only were they kind of running media, so running ads, um, pre-roll ads, mid-roll ads, post-roll ads, that kind of stuff. But then they were also, you know, kind of sponsoring the channel. We were finding other ways to kind of um, integrate their brand. So it, it was not true product placement the way you would in a, in, a, in a piece of original content. But we were finding ways to integrate the brand that aren't just, you know, pre-roll ads. Um, mm. And so that package, I think, becomes important because, you you know, you want to get the brand's um, messaging and 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 vibe across right in in the proper way but you also don't want to you know you don't want to watch a piece of content that's got the same commercial over and over and and we see that all the time right um and uh and so you've got to be very thoughtful about how you build those packages and just because a brand is wanting to spend that money with you doesn't necessarily mean you should always take it you know it's uh it's important to kind of balance the user experience so that it doesn't feel like someone's being advertised to, you know, you don't want to create a streaming service that feels like a subway car, um, you know, where you're just constant advertising. So I think it's I think it's a balancing act. Um, and, and it sounds like you're dealing with that every day, right? If you're trying to integrate, you know, advertisers into content that's going to wind up on these subscription streaming services, you've got to be very cautious about not being too heavy handed with it and also being on message for the brand. It's, you know, if it were easy, yeah. everybody do it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, for the most part, we've never worked with any of the streaming services. Um, it's always been directly, you know, with the production companies or with the producers. And you're right; it has to be authentic to the storyline. It has to be very empowering. It has to, you know, improve things, not disrupt or distract whatsoever.
0: But as a former producer, I, I you know, I guarantee you those producers are thinking about the streaming service, even if you're not, right? Because they're trying mm-hmm. to think, you know, whether it was financed by Netflix or they hope to sell it to Netflix. Ultimately you know, they have to be cautious about what they do with brands to keep it integrated into the story in an authentic way. Otherwise, you know, Netflix is going to look at that as a potential acquisition and say mm, it all worked except for that one weird scene that, you know, 100%. And, and so yeah. it's, 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 a, it's, that's the balancing act that has to happen.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cause on the other side of the spectrum, it's like, do you want to off brand cola? Um, do you want to be making up products or does that like kind of negatively impact the authenticity? And so it is really balancing out and just making sure I you no, know, we talk about this a lot, but, you know, the brand and the, and the and the content creator or the producer, they have to reach a consensus to make sure that it's something that's very empowering to the storyline and not disruptive, because if it is disruptive or it looks like an ad, that's not good for anyone from the streaming service to the production company and especially to the audience.
2: Well, no, I, I like Rich's example about the target though, like inspiring filmmakers that are coming up. I mean, that that's an integration that actually that. has legs. You know what I'm saying? And I think, I think that's where brands need to take a step back and get out of, hey, we're pushing our, our product and we're gonna do this ad and all this integration type stuff. To say, okay, how do we actually weave our narrative, our storytelling with some other storytelling that's happening? And I think that's where that one's brilliant because you could wash, rinse and repeat that over and over again, where it's an initiative every year or every quarter of discovering talent that's creating content that's getting funded a unique way. And then, you know, coming into the library. I think that's, that's really, really fascinating for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I mean, it's the Holy grail when you can really sort of nail it, you know, It, it, and, um, a few years ago, um, I was making a lot of kind of the teenage movies, some of which you mentioned Ricky Ray when you were sort of, setting up this conversation uh and and those are great uh they pay the bills um but you know the question is do they change the world and I kind of felt like if i've got this platform in hollywood i got to do something that changes the world and uh and so you know the, the project that the, the documentary project that matthew mcconaughey and i made that you mentioned earlier that was one of those right it was a passion project for both of us about the guy who's the football coach at the university of texas that we both grew up you know cheering for and Another one of those is one um, where I partnered with a filmmaker named Frank Martin and uh, and Halle Berry. Uh, and we made this documentary about black soldiers that had fought in all the US wars we've ever had, uh, but often never had their stories told. And so the project was called For Love of Liberty, The Story of America's Black Patriots. And Halle was the host, and it had everybody we'd ever met in Hollywood in it, you know, um, uh, who was kind of a household name, 50 or 60 household name sort of celebrities, you know, helping to tell these stories. And so uh, the U.S. Army came in and became the title sponsor for that. And that felt super authentic. And what a great way for for the Army to get their message out, um, to tell some of these stories and to talk about efforts they were making in diversity. Um, and, uh, And so we actually went on sort of this nationwide tour with all these, you know, multi-star generals that would show up to these screenings and t- tell these stories, you know, before uh, we would then run clips from the film um, and, uh, and create a, a, a national conversation about, you know, diversity in the armed forces and where that had worked well and where it has not and where they can improve. And it, it really became uh, a catalyst to something really special. And so the Army got, you know, their money's worth, you know, in multiples. And when you can do it like that, it just feels great. And you know, Hallie and I won an NAACP image award on that and um, yeah. on that film because it all sort of worked right it, and, and that's the that's the holy grail when you can kind of find it
2: i this has been a very fascinating conversation i i think that um if we were to take a step back and um just ask a an additional question here and i think this is an important question because ricky already asked the one of where you see the industry going but if you could go back and just know the knowledge that you know now just a year ago or two years ago about something that was just kind of an aha moment that kind of opened up, you know, um, your business model or just really grasping a concept. What would that be? What does that look like?
0: I would have raised money in Bitcoin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> i think all this 100%. That, that's,
1: that, that's a sensitive topic here.
2: <laughs> yeah, Rick, Ricky sold his Bitcoin. I, mm.
1: <laughs> all, all of it in December. It was horrible,
0: Uh, horrible. Well, at least you got to sell it. Most of the people I know that bought it early on had their wallets broken into and had it stolen. So you're ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, You know, I think I think what happened in the you know, if we had a crystal ball, it'd be easy. But I think what happened in the pandemic, um, I I think just accelerated a lot of trends that were already happening. So, you know, cord cutting is one. Um, We were you know, the VIX streaming service was growing at a really nice clip. When the pandemic hit, it was like it went on steroids. And so I think if I had anything to do over again, it would be, you know, sort of more prepared for those, you know, the the unexpected happening in the world that accelerates those trends. Because then what happened for us is it became a massive game of whack-a-mole where we had built a plan where we were going to grow our service to a certain scale, and it was gonna be a nice steady pace. And the whack-a-mole came in because we suddenly started growing so fast that then when you grow that fast, that means you need more content because people go through the content faster. It means you need more customer service because more people complain. It means you've gotta have, uh, you know, more robust, robust technology infrastructure because if there's, you know, one person streaming, you need this type of technology. If there's a thousand people streaming at the same exact time, you need a very more different kind of technology. And so we were constantly trying to chase that to make sure we didn't have downtime. So I think it's that having that plan in place, um, you know, that, uh, that for those unexpected pandemic-like, you know, sea change events, um, that would have been great to know about a year a year ago. But but you know, we managed through it and and um, we had, you know, no downtime. We were able to, you know, grow our content offering, you know, thousands and thousands of hours every quarter, way faster than we expected. We, you know, added a whole team of people in Mexico that could service, um, you know, customer service in a way that, you know, I think at the time here in the U.S., we were just trying to make sense of, you know, the COVID of it all. And It was hard to hire people. And um, so we found ways to do it. Um, and that's, you know, that's what being a good operator is. I think, um, you know, my, my partner in all this is a guy named Rafael Urbina, who was the, the founder of VIX. And so when he and I brought our assets together, like we were every day trying to figure out like, how are we going to, you know, survive just one more day? And, uh, and I think we ultimately did a pretty good job of it.
2: Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining us. It was a really fascinating conversation. I think there's a lot to, to, to unpack and digest on this one. Um, Ricky any last thoughts before we close up
1: no that was fantastic thank you so much rich really appreciate it
0: thank you guys for having me and 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 I and since I just found out that you and I are virtually neighbors uh, you know I will look forward to seeing you walking around
1: the neighborhood
2: <laughs> yep, you, might, you might see me later
1: today walking my dog
2: <laughs> and we want to thank everybody else for listening to this podcast thank you so much make sure you follow and share and do all the things that you do and we'll see you on the next one thanks everyone